all of your blessings bestowed upon us. And now, God, as we open your word, open our eyes that we will see wonderful things in your law. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. I want to preach today from the subject, Saul's life, an example of God's amazing grace. If there ever was a person in the Bible other than Jesus, is Saul, where we can see an example of God's amazing grace. By matter of review, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, tells the dramatic story of Saul of Tarsus, this proud, this arrogant, this conceited, this self-sufficient Pharisee, who became a follower of Jesus Christ. Saul was on his way to Damascus with letters from the high priest authorizing him to arrest and bring back to Jerusalem any man or woman who followed the way or who followed the teachings of Jesus. While en route to carry out his destructive vendetta, Against the followers of Jesus, Saul was stopped in his tracks, confronted by Jesus, who asked him in verse 4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we got the point a few weeks ago that whenever a Christian, a Christian is persecuted, or when the church of Jesus Christ is persecuted, whenever a born-again believer is persecuted, bothered, Jesus takes it personally. Saul was stopped in his tracks, confronted by Jesus. With this question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul gets the point. He wakes up. The light goes on in his life. And like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, Saul comes to his senses. He then asks in verse 6, the question that every born-again believer in Jesus Christ should have in their repertoire. Lord, what would you have me to do? Jesus tells Saul, arise and go to the city and you will be told what you 
must, underscore the word must in the text, what you must do, not what you want to do, not what you think is right, not what people tell you, but you must do, you will be told by me in essence what you must do. Now, Jesus' response to Saul with the must do in the text is a game changer. Saul is no longer the proud Pharisee, the arrogant Pharisee, the self-confident soldier that he once was. What you must do is a game changer. Saul is no longer the number one baller, shot caller. From now on, Saul can still ball, but Jesus is the shot caller. Footnote. When we say yes to following Jesus, when we must not only understand, but we must accept the fact, the reality, the truth that Jesus calls the shots and not us. Saul had three days to think about that. He had three days to pray about it. Blind, fasting, he had three days to think about it. The reality is when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, Jesus calls the shots and not us. Irregardless of our intellect, irregardless of our academic accomplishments, irregardless of how high we have risen on the social, economic, or even political charge, when we come to Christ, he becomes the number one shot caller, not us. For you see, in order to please God, in order to be effective in the service of the Lord in order to be that force for good that God wants us to be. We, like players on the field or on the court, must make up in our minds to run the plays that Jesus called. Oh, it's tempting to listen to others, but God calls us to run the plays that Jesus sends in. Some years ago when uh, I heard an interview of a young basketball player, he was a young college athlete, he was a, he was a star on the team, and his team went into the championship game as the underdog. That is, the media, the masses, no one gave his team a vote to win the championship. But when the game was over, his team won. And so an inquisitive reporter interviewed this very sharp young man on, on, on national television. And he asked him, 
How did you and how did your teammates keep their composure during the game? Nobody thought that you could win. None of the statisticians thought that you could win. None of the commentators on television thought that you could win. Nobody said or thought that you could win. How did you blot out all of the negativism? He said to them in front of thousands of people, we simply did not listen to them. The only voice we listened to was the voice of the coach. In other words, the coach was calling the plays. We listened to him. We tuned out everybody and everything else. The challenge of this text is Jesus is our shot caller. Now, here's a picketism. After spending nearly 42 years of my life preaching, I added it up to to be sure. Nearly 42 years of my life preaching the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, serving as an Air Force chaplain, a pastor. I am thoroughly convinced that one of the primary reasons for failure in every venue of life is because somebody or somebody's other than Jesus is doing the shot calling. Doing the shot calling. For example, failure in the church Failure in the home, failure in the marriage arena, failure in the government, failure in the corporate world, failure in our individual lives can all be traced in some way, shape, form, or fashion back to the place where we or some other person, or some other influential person in our lives other than Jesus Christ took it upon him or herself to call the shots. Think about it. Every bad decision that you and I have made, every time we got off the track, it was because somebody else, maybe even us, called the shots. Frank Sinatra, some of y'all remember him as, as old blue eyes. Y'all remember him? He hung out with Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. They call him the, the Rat Pack, I think it was. And they sang in clubs in Las Vegas. I mean, they were popular. Well, Frank Sinatra said it well through the words of a song he made popular back in 1969. And the song was entitled, My Way. He, he, he defined this, 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 
Others calling the shot other than Jesus in this song. He didn't write it, but he sang it. Listen to some of the lyrics. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. But much more than this, I did it my way. Who's calling the shots? I planned, I underscore in the lyrics, I, I planned each charted course. Each step, careful step along the byway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. For what is man, what has he got if not himself, then has naught to say the things he truly feels. And not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blow. And I did it my way. Well, the good news is that Saul in the text is done with doing life his way. He's learned the hard way. Remember Jesus asked him, told him, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you to kick against the word of God, the will of God, the, the, the ways of God. Uh, the more you kick uh, against it, the harder, the tougher life becomes, the the the. The, the gourd or the stick was a, a, a stick used with a sharp point used by a farmer to, to keep the ox going in the right direction. The harder the ox kicked against the gourd, the deeper the spear went into its flesh and the more pain it caused. Well, Saul is done with living that. He's learned. The hard way that defining, defying the word, the will, and the way, they call Christians the way. Literally, the way of the Lord Jesus Christ is foolishness. Regardless of who does it, it's foolishness. You see, Saul has come to the sobering reality that you can scratch and squirm and curse and claw, and push, and pull, and resist, refute, rebuff, and even refuse God. But one day, one day you will end up on the ground, battered, bruised, and broken, destitute, disillusioned, and done. So here are some penetrable, penetrable questions which are before us today that uh, questions that arise from uh, the gist of this text. Is there anyone listening who has not come to the end of your resources? 
Is there anyone here listening who does not completely understand that you and I are helpless unless Jesus Christ intervenes moment by moment in our lives? Is there anyone here listening today who has not given up and given in to Christ? Is there anyone listening who still needs God to break you, to break your stubborn independence and arrogance as a way of conveying our emptiness and God's greatness? If your answer is yes, or if you know someone whose answer is yes, Rest assured that it's only a matter of time before the Damascus Road experience or the Jesus meeting takes place. Now, all of us who are born again here today have had a Jesus meeting. You know, the Jesus meeting is when God arrests us and gets our attention and makes it clear to us that we're traveling the wrong road. And if we are wise, we will straighten up and fly right. Now, after this, his dramatic Jesus meeting in verses 6 to 9 informs us that Saul became a disciple of Christ, a follower of the way. Watch the text. When he arose from the ground, opened his eyes, he couldn't see. So there, those who were with him took him by the hand and, and led him into Damascus where he stayed three days without physical sight. Neither did he eat a drink. In other words, God had him in the holding pattern so he could think about things and pray. He's in a holding pattern. He's physically blind. He's fasting. He's praying. He's, he's waiting on God. But while Saul is waiting, the good news is that God is working. For you see, God is the epitome of multitasking. While working in the life of Saul, he's also working in the life of Ananias. Another disciple, he sends Ananias to Saul, clarifying that Saul is now on the Lord's side. Ananias goes to the house of Judas on Straight Street. He enters the house, lays his hands on Saul, and says in verse 17, Brother Saul, notice he didn't call Saul adversary, enemy. He called him brother. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the Damascus road as you came, has sent me so that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once and was baptized. He made a public profession of faith indicating an outward sign of an inward change. In verse 19, Saul eats, he regains his strength, and then he spends some days with the disciples in Damascus. Imagine that, if you will. 
And this underscores our subject for today. Imagine that. The amazing grace of God touched Saul's life to the point he went from being a persecutor to a preacher. God's grace really is amazing, y'all. He, he went from being a persecutor to being a preacher. He moved from being a destroyer to being a disciple. He went from being a menace to being a missionary. And that's what we call God's amazing grace. Now, in my closing moments, let's look at how God's amazing grace unfolds. First, it was God's amazing grace that took Saul from being a persecutor to a preacher. Notice verse 20. Immediately, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Look at God's amazing grace, God's transforming power, God's redemptive work, and that he would even get this Consider using Saul to proclaim his glorious gospel. That's grace. That he would even give Saul consideration for the position of being a proclaimer of this gospel. Saul became an earthen vessel of a heavenly treasure. All because of God's amazing grace. For to be sure, it had not been long ago that this man was breathing murderous threats against the disciples of Jesus Christ. Now in the synagogue, now preaching. What a shocker. Now he's preaching the rich, reliable, the reverent, Revelant, the revolutionary, the reverent gospel of Jesus Christ. His message is Jesus lived a sinless life. He died to save sinners. He rose again on the third day with all power in his hands. Imagine Saul saying, it's true. It's all true. Y'all knew me before, but it's all true. I met him for myself. And can I tell you something? God's amazing grace is still at work. He's still saving the least. He's still saving the lonely. He's still saving the lost. He's still turning sinners around. He's still using people that society says will never amount to anything. He's still commissioning, calling, and commissioning men and women, boys and girls, to proclaim the truth of his word. That is God's amazing grace. Some perhaps say, I see it. For he would use me, even me, I see it. Grace in action. Second, it was God's amazing grace 
It took Saul from being a destroyer to being a disciple. Verse 21 declares, then all who heard were amazed. Of course they were. They had heard that he was coming to defame the name of Jesus. Now he's lifting the name of Jesus. Of course they are amazed. He was coming as a terrorist. And now he has a glorious testimony of how Jesus reached way down and picked him up. Of course they are amazed. People are still amazed when they see what God has done in your life. Because they knew you when. They knew you where. They knew you before you came to see know Jesus. They are still amazed at how God is using you. Still amazed. And they said, is this not he, underscore, who destroyed those who called on his name, the name of Jesus in Jerusalem, and has come here for that purpose? course they are amazed. Saul was a hater of Christ and a hater of Christians par excellence. He was the lowest of the low. Of course they are amazed. He was the belligerent of the belligerents. Of course they are amazed. He was the vilest of the vicious. Of course they are amazed. Because God's transforming grace. Saul was grateful for God's amazing grace. Just like you and I, he was grateful for God's grace. Just like when we look back over our lives, we ought to be grateful for God's grace. We ought to be grateful that God didn't give us what we deserve. We ought to be grateful that he picked us up. He had to reach way down and pick us up. Saul was, Saul was, Saul was grateful. Look how he expressed his gratitude in 1 Timothy 1 and 12, where he wrote, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. What he's saying, Deacon Jones, is I thank you, Jesus. I know what I've been. I know what I've done. I know who I have hurt. I was there at the stoning of Stephen, giving my approval. I thank you, Jesus. Is there anybody here that can say, I thank you, Jesus? I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, Saul says, who has enabled me. I couldn't do it by myself. I couldn't pick myself up out of the muck, the mire, if I wanted to. It's Christ who has enabled me. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. Get this, because he counted me faithful. Put in me. Help me somebody. Put in me in ministry. 
hidden me in ministry. Dr. Williams, putting me, after all I've been through, Pastor Joe, putting me in ministry. Dr. Stevens, Dr. Harris, putting me in ministry. My old wife grew up in 11 children in the household. Advert poverty, if you will, putting you in ministry. Put in, put in, put in me. I, I, I look at my own life putting me, putting me in ministry at my own grandmother's funeral, 107 years old, and I listened to the testimony of the people at the church who talked about how bad I was as a child. My son sitting there, my daughter sitting there, my wife sitting there, and they just spilling the beans. But I couldn't help but thank God for counting me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Paul continues in verse 13, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. I looked that word up, insolent, because I wanted to make sure I was giving you the right information. That means a rude man. An obnoxious man, a vulgar man, a foul-mouthed man. So I said, that's who I was. I'm not going to dress it up. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That's who I was. I was a foul-mouthed, vile, vicious, vindictive person. I was all of those things. More, I had a flashback about some of the things in my childhood. And, and, and I was thinking that perhaps my son and my daughter would come to me one day and say, Daddy, is it true? And have y'all ever thought about that? Your, your children, grandchildren, I heard something. Is it true? My answer would have to see be perhaps. Yes, and perhaps my son, perhaps my daughter, perhaps my wife, perhaps my Good Hope family, before my days in Christ, perhaps not only true, but worse than that. Am I by myself? Yeah, Paul said in the text, but after all of that, I obtained mercy because I was ignorant. I, I didn't know. I was ignorant in unbelief. Is there anybody here that can identify with Saul who can say I was low as the lowest? I was dirty as the dirtiest. If you only knew some of the places I've been and things I've done, you would be shocked. But because of God's amazing grace, 
Ah, I'm here serving. I'm here singing. I'm here preaching. I'm here ushering. I'm here as a deacon. I'm here sold out, radical for Jesus Christ because of God's amazing grace. Third and finally, God's grace took Saul from being a menace to a missionary. Verse 21b continues, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. Saul was a menace to the Christian society. He was a threat. He was a troublemaker. He was a terrorist. In Acts chapter 8 and 1, Saul was present at the stoning of Stephen. Giving consent to his death. You know what that means? He was said, kill him. He's following this Jesus of Nazareth. Kill him. In Acts 9, 13, Ananias said to the Lord, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. Deacon Matthew just didn't want one person didn't tell me. One, one, it wasn't just one person, Deacon McKay, Deacon Brown. One, just one. There were a whole lot of people that told me how bad he was. I've heard many things about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. No question, Saul was a minister to society. He's a minister to society of Christ followers. But get this. It was God's amazing grace that gave him a chance to change. Don't you love that about God? Some people won't believe your change. Some people won't give you a chance in their hearts and in their minds to change. God's grace allowed the opportunity, gave Saul an opportunity to change, gives you and I an opportunity to change. It was God's grace that allowed Saul to get it right. It was God's grace that placed in his path, in Saul's path, in your path, in my path, the privilege of making you turn. Well, all I'm trying to say, y'all, is that God's grace really is amazing. Saul's testimony, and your testimony, my testimony, the testimony of the saints who've been gone before us, and testimony of all who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ can be Surmised in the words of a hymn by John Newton, familiar hymn, you know it well. With Newton's words, I'll close, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved. I'm, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody else this morning, but that saved. A wretch like me. I stand here to tell you the words of Newton. I once was lost, 
but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace. God's amazing grace. 